Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I am your host. And listen, you guys, um, I've had some pretty amazing people on this show over the last four years, but I may have two of the, the most amazing I've ever had on the show today. John David Mann and his beautiful wife, Anna Gabriel Mann. They are coming on here in just a second. We're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about their book, which is unbelievable. A lot of great things. So number one, share this out right now to both of your friends and, and stay with us because you don't want to miss this. See you guys in a minute. And we are back. Let's do this. Let me bring John and Anna on. Good morning. Good morning. I saw you watching the um I saw you watching the the intro video. What do you think of that? I love it. I love it. I love when it keeps bringing another amazing guest up and smashing through the wall. And, and here here we are with two absolutely amazing human beings we have joaquin joining us from hell i'm not and i'm not referring to my 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 former marriage he actually lives in a, <laughs> I'm so, i had to it's kind of just works with the whole theme right John, it's, the, it's thematic it's thematic <laughs> it's thematic yeah. he uh, there is a town in norway called hell did you know that I did not. Is that where hell froze over? <laughs> yes. It's a, he is a great guy. He's part of my Grow Live Academy, in fact. Oh, fantastic. So 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 um listen, I first off, thank you both for being here. Um, second, thank you for doing we did an Amazon Live the other night and it was spectacular. Um, third, congratulations on this absolutely amazing new book. The Go Giver Marriage, and um, yeah. So, um, I and listen. This is I've never done this where I interview a husband and wife on the show. Never. It's, we well, Mark, we go easy on you. Yeah. Well, well so we'll I'm going to go easy on you because the way that this works is you come on and you talk about where you were born and raised and 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 what life was like and I, i'd like to hear a little bit about that from from both of you if you don't mind um just kind of touching on it so we will um chivalry is alive and well so we will go ladies first and we will ask anna to just kind of share you know where you were born and raised and what it was like growing up for you as a kid i was born in greenfield massachusetts and um life was rather idyllic back then in the sense that you know we had a fantastic ymca in our town and i went to a camp and i got leadership training from the age of 10 years old on through the ymca um, was a counselor at their camp my whole of my junior high and high school 
years, spent a lot of time, you know, being guided by people who were real leaders in the community. So it was a really amazing experience. My parents were also movers and shakers in town. And so it was like this, the idyllic small town life. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. John, what about you? Did you, were you born writing? Like, did, did, like, <laughs> I was born with a pen in my hand and my mom said, ouch, would you put that down? No, I was born many years ago as a, as a baby uh, at, at the time in a little town that time has forgotten in the, in the middle of New Jersey, a faraway mythical place called New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so I am in fact a Jersey boy. Um, yeah. You can take the man out of New Jersey, but you can't take New Jersey out of John Mann. So right. anyway, uh, I was born to a musical family. My dad was a college professor and musicologist and conductor. He was one of those rare musicologists, which is a music theorician, a music you know academic, who also practiced what he what he preacheth. Wow. Um, he he was a choral conductor. He conducted several fairly famous choirs. Bach and Handel were his specialties, and that was my that was my growing environment. I grew up in a cloud of classical music. Oh my, my mom God. was a school teacher. She taught Greek mythology and she wrote plays for her kids and performed them. Um, and after she, she it, later in her life, when she left teaching at a school, she created a theater at our house off the front porch called the Front Porch Theater. So I was kind of raised in the world of the arts, you could oh my say. Oh gosh. Wow. Uh, I started that, out in, yeah. That's, that that's fills in a from. lot of, a lot of spaces for me. <laughs> I was the black sheep in the family, however, I would say. Older brother, younger brother. They're both musicians. They both, they're both fairly normal. I was kind of a curiosity from the start. So Really? I, I've gone through my life pin, pinballing, like a pinball, from career to career to career to career. And I only ended up doing this writing thing in, in, my, in my 50s, really. This whole 30 books thing is like, this is, this is my, um, what do you call this? My, my second career, my... Tenth career, whatever. It's it's my later in life career. It's it's what, what I finally, the, finally what arrived at. What are some of the careers you've had? Uh, astronaut, neurosurgeon, politician. No, none of those. <laughs> I'm sorry. My primary occupation is to make my wife laugh, and look, I just succeeded. She laughs right. at the stupidest jokes, which is great because that, those are the ones I have. It works out well. Um, no, I got very involved in nutrition and natural healing. Oh, there goes Ken. I got very involved in nutrition and natural health. And so I spent many years in that whole world, um, wow. which is where our paths originally crossed. Um, and because uh, Anna has this background as well. She has as varied a background as I do. She gave you a very modest introduction, but there's a whole lot more to say about her, um, which yeah. I'm happy to say to anybody who wants to hear it. We're going to uh, dig. We're going to dig. We're going to yeah. dig. I drove cab. I worked at a, I worked at a natural food store. I got held up at gunpoint a couple of times. I did, you know, these various jobs that you do to try to earn a living as a, as a, you know, skillless, you know, naive young man. Um, and eventually I, you know, I did a whole, whole bunch of teaching music and theory and this and that. And eventually I ended up editing other people's stuff. And, and finally I dabbled in being an entrepreneur. I started some businesses. I started some magazines. I started some food businesses and, uh, built a sales organization that had like 150,000 people in it. Or it was, I was really into that for a while. Wow. But writing is where I was where I was aiming the whole time, although I didn't know it. This is this is my life path. That's where you were aiming the mm -hmm. whole time. Wow. Though I though I didn't know it. Yes. 
That's interesting. I was also aiming at Anna the whole time, although I didn't find that out either until my <laughs> until my forties. <laughs> well, so so Anna, what are some of the things that you've done along your journey? Well, I went to graduate school without a BA. I I, um, I, I recall you saying that. Yeah. Um, I co-founded the first Chinese medical college in New England. Wow. Yeah. And, and it came about, it came about because I had a child with special needs who had um, pretty severe um, seizures in the first two years of life. And so I was able to study with Dr. John Shen and he only took on 12 apprentices. Um, he was a very, very famous Chinese medical doctor. Uh, wow. And so I not only studied with him, but I just learned a great deal. And I was married at the time to somebody who was a really brilliant oriental medical practitioner. And so we co-founded this school and for 17 years we ran it and it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Wow. Is it still yeah. in existence? It is not now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just want to point out that Anna was also the only American in a, in a, uh, uh, a modern dance troupe, professional, well-known modern dance troupe in, in another country. She was a registered sharpshooter. She was a professional puppeteer for children's shows. She was, she's done many, many things. That you are you serious? Are, are, I don't know. Most I importantly, she, she is a, she's a actually, certified EEG neurotherapist. Yeah, I am. I'm a certified EEG neurofeedback therapist as well. Um, because that's, <laughs> What is that? That is a um, type of therapy that really gets at the root of trauma. A lot of oh, people wow. know about EM. DR, um, but wow. EEG neurofeedback really gets to the root of taking an over aroused brain that is reacting to everything, you know, in the sense of the original trauma and it really calms it down. It's also excellent for kids with ADD or ADHD. It takes people with neurodiversity and it not only diagnoses the brain because we do a CAP scan beforehand. So every single person's protocol is individual to them, Ken. And wow. that's really part of the power of it. Um, yeah, it's really big in um, trauma circles. People really understand what it is and what it can do. What um, do you mean react? <laughs> <laughs> Take that back. <laughs> yeah. And when it comes to the guns, you don't want to get between me and my gun. Um, in the sense of... <laughs> I love it. I love it. In the sense of I started shooting guns at five or six years of age. And um, that same YMCA camp that I went to had an actual shooting range. And I went through all 10 bars of the NRA's um, base training. And I was the only person in the history of the camp to shoot five shots through the same hole. Um, oh my gosh. In, in four or five positions. Wow. I never make, I never make her angry. <laughs> uh, hey, I shoot, I shoot guns. I shoot guns in my novels. Does that count? <laughs> I think, like, well, yeah, don't make her, she can hit you when you're running, too. That's right. <laughs> I don't bother to run. There's no point. I would just get, I would yeah. just die tired. Yeah. And then I went on to shoot skeet after that. So, yeah, I can definitely hit you while you're running. Wow. Those poor skeet. You want to hear the first words, Ken, we ever spoke to each other? I sure. said to her, you're beautiful. I am not skeet. <laughs> I wanted to establish that right from the start. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, that is so awesome. So, so you guys have um, this amazing book. I, I, I told you, I still haven't read past the first page and a half. I'm going to, I promise. But, um, you know, I've read, I, I remember I told you when I read The Go-Giver, um, yeah. which was you and, and Bob Berg, um, I, I read that and I think I read that in uh, honestly a couple of two or three hours. It was seemed like it was a pretty quick read back then. Um, <clears throat> and I was like, oh my gosh, that it was unbelievable. And, and so now I know you've taken some of the same principles from, from that and you've created this amazing new book called The Go-Giver Marriage. My question for both of you is why? Why, why, why did you, I mean, there's, there's a, a whole gaggle of books on marriage. <laughs> I mean, wh why, why did you decide that, you know what, now would be a good time to write a book on, on marriage? You know, I'm going to start with that and then hand it over to you, sweetheart. Is that okay? Sure. I, I, I just want to say that, you know, there is to some extent the law of supply and demand here. And what I mean is, there was a demand um, yeah. since the first Go-Giver book came out, which was in 2008. So we're going on, that's almost, uh, what is that, almost 15 years now. Wow. Um, when the Go-Giver manuscript slid off my desktop printer back in 2005, 17 years ago now, um, Anna read it. She was the first reader. She was the first person on the planet uh, to, to read it. And, and she said, this is the same thing you did. This is awesome. This is amazing. And wow. it would make a great book on marriage. So we had that idea way back then. She had that idea way back then. But we heard from people all through this, throughout this time, this decade plus, who read The Go-Giver, who have applied it. You know, this can, you know, it, it was not only, yes, it was a business book, but not only was it applied in business circles, but also people were using it in their community <laughs> workshops they were using it in their <laughs> my kind of ladies people were using it people were using it in their in uh, in their churches they were using it in marriage counseling they were using it in schools there's a guy who started teaching the go-giver in his in his high school class his english class every year to the senior students um he's been doing that now for 12, 13 years 14 years so People have been asking us, when are you going to write a book that actually takes the go-giver idea and puts it right smack in the middle of relationships? When are you going to write a book about relationships, a book about marriage? So there has been that, that you know, there's been that demand out there. Yeah. But um, sweetheart, please take it from there. That's, I ran out. Well, <laughs> my, um, my education and my, my master's degree is in um, clinical psychology. And so I've spent most of my adult life being a therapist. Right. And um, while I love Chinese medicine and I practiced it for a while, um, you know, my first love was always couples counseling and therapy and understanding what makes people tick, helping people to overcome trauma. I have, a, you know, pretty broad background there as well. Um, and so what I, the reason I felt the Go-Giver was such a powerful and strong book in relation to marriages and relationships is that, you know, the go-giver is the first book to come out to say, to really say, you know, the more you give, the more you have number one. And in relationships, that's power. You know, it's not about making the relationship transactional. It's not about 
um, you know, I'll give to you as long as you're going to give me this, you know, it's, right. it's not conditional. It's not transactional. If you're giving without the intention of getting, then it really changes the equation altogether. And relationships that are based on that kind of giving, you know, let me take you back to early development because the secrets are based on developmental theory. When a baby is young, mama is everything. And if she's an amazing mama who gets up in the middle of the night and makes sure that baby is dry and fed and happy, you know, that's a child who's going to grow up to be a whole and normal and wonderful adult, you know, as long as there isn't some sort of brutal dysfunction in the family. But in truth, all of us come out of families that are dysfunctional in one way or another. Right? Yeah. yeah. And we carry that dysfunction, whether your family was alcoholic or you had a controlling father or you had a depressed mother. You know, there's so much going on in the world um, that, you know, people arrive at a marriage and they're riding on the, you know, the kiss of romance and they think that's it. They think, okay, this is it. I'm going to feel this way for the rest of my life. And then once the honeymoon wears off, sadly, they discover that, gee, their partner's a little controlling and very critical and they're feeling really defensive and they're kind of stonewalling and they're yeah. sitting back and you know, they're developing their own techniques to handle how they're feeling in the marriage and none of it is functional. Wow. So, so, and how long have you been, you, so you're a clinical therapist. Mm-hmm. How long have you been, and do you do mar- like marriage counseling and yes. um, how long have you done that? I have been a therapist for a little over 35 years. So not long. <laughs> <laughs> no, not too long. So, so see a few things. You're like, I'm venturing out. Um, so what, what, what are the, I don't know, top, top three or four reasons you see in your practice um, why marriages don't last? Well, one of the really fun things about the book is that we outline the five toxic behaviors because they are the opposite of the five secrets. The very things that will build your marriage are, you know, have a counter, have an opposite that is, you know, something like criticism. You know, there's an epidemic of criticism in our society right now. And believe me, it's at home as well. Yeah. So a lot of couples, that's their default mode, you know, and, and criticism is death by a thousand cuts. And criticism will take a marriage down really quickly. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, when, when couples come into your practice, that's one of the top things you hear. She criticizes, he criticizes. You know, I think it's bigger than that. It's more complex than that. When there's criticism, there's often neglect. There may be control issues. One partner may be very controlling, you know, so it can, you know, it can run the gamut. And one person can be very aloof and kind of not interested in in a closer relationship while the other person kind of has a more desperate, a little bit more, you know, needy perspective. So, you know, it's all over the place, but but the secrets are based in developmental theory. What you needed when you were an infant and a child, you still need as an adult. Mm. So if you're practicing the secrets, you're giving your partner one of the 
core things that they need. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I just want to say, I just want to say about criticism that, you know, one of the reasons, first off, criticism often comes wearing disguises. You know, it, it isn't, it isn't always obvious. Yeah. Um, it, one of the disguises that criticism wears is, is humor. You know, you, you, you jokingly say, uh, man, you're looking porky today. That's a really clumsy way of, of my, I'm not, it's a good, not a good example. Who would say that? But you, you may, you know, jokingly <laughs> criticize somebody. Um, I can't think, uh, and then if they react, you get to say, I was only kidding. You weren't only kidding. There is no such thing as only kidding when, when you've got a barb on a statement. Uh, but that is that's a form of of uh, plausible deniability, yeah. You know, also known as passive aggressive, where yeah. you get to get the digs in, but it doesn't quite look like you are. So the, nothing blows up, and if it does, it doesn't blow back on you because hey, I didn't, I was only kidding, or I was just, I was just being sarcastic, or I was just, you know, just goofing on you. And, and the thing about that that people often forget is that nobody holds more power to hurt than the person you've opened yourself up to most. So if, you, if you're intimate with somebody, if you're living with somebody close for years, you know, mm. whether it's actually a marriage or it's some other relationship that's, that's close and intimate and lasts for years, nobody can hurt you as badly as that person because you've shown yourself to them, you've opened yourself up to them. And so even what should seem like a harmless little barb or jab is not harmless. It's like, it's like Anna said, it creates the death of a thousand cuts. No right. one cut is lethal. No one cut even seems that barbaric or violent, but they, they accumulate. And the, the cumulative you know, effect of that is blood loss, asphyxia, and death. You know, you're gone. Wow. <clears throat> this is, this is very, you know, it's very, um, this is a very deep conversation because I, you know, we're humans. We all are going to experience relationships. We're all going to, uh, most of us are going to experience a marriage or more. Um, and, and I think that, and like Theodora has a question, do spouses, I love this question. Do spouses fall out of love with each other in order to fall in love with someone else and leave their marriage? Um, I have a theory on that, but I'm not a clinical psychologist. So I, I have um, a theory about that too. <laughs> not either. I, I'd like to hear both of your theories first. Uh, uh, first I, from the two amateur guys. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's hear John, it. you go first. You go first. Yes. <laughs> from my vast years as a licensed psychotherapist, um, I mean, that's, that's not true. I, I only play one on, on, uh, on TV. And we but, are you know, not I, laughing at your question, please. No, no we're not. Not at no. all. No, it's such a serious question because I have been that person. Um, I, you know, I, I, this is not my first marriage. And I, and I want to tell you my, my own observation, my own belief. And, and again, this is just me. I don't think that you um, fall out of one person in the process of falling in love with another. I think the sequence is different. I think that the, only, that the reason that you fall in love with this other person is because something has, has atrophied in your relationship with the first person. And I don't think that it's exactly falling out of love. At least in my observation, my experience, what happens is you fall out of intimacy, let's say. You, 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 you slip out of relationship. Um, I don't think that the love goes away. And by the way, love can easily manifest as, as hate. <laughs> hate is another form of love because, yep. you know, who is more famous for, for vitriolic hatred but ex-spouses, right? 
And often yeah. they, there's still there's still a, a bond of love underneath, sure. but it's manifesting as you know, like I said before, nobody can hurt you as badly as the person you're close to. So you know, you, 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 nobody can inspire your your fury as much as somebody that you actually care about. Right. I think what happens is we hear people say, "We just grew apart," and I don't think that happens. I don't think that you grow apart. I think we drew apart. And it isn't something that happened over years. It's something that happened in a day and again tomorrow and again the next day. It's, something, it's, it's in the choices we make every day. It's whether or not we're feeding or starving, we're paying attention to or not paying attention to the intimacy that we share every day. Yeah. And after time, if we don't share that, then you fall out of that intimacy and it feels like you fell out of love. When, frequently, we may not even notice that, but all of a sudden, this other person seems amazing to us. Well, why do they seem amazing to us? Because we're starving for affection and intimacy and relationship, and we don't have it because we lost it. Yep. And I think that's that's how it that's how it feels to me. That's how it I, seems. My opinion, <laughs> or my my amateur insight. Um, you know, I told you guys the other day, I, I read the book a long time ago um, by Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled, and he talks about love in that book and his definition of love. And I, I, I it really resonated with me. And um, and that is, you know, that love is so many, so many people confuse um, love as a it's just like the you know at first there's this sexual attraction and and there are some kind of a physical attraction and then then you know at some point like anna said earlier that that or maybe it was you john said that wears off like eventually it's like okay now that we've had this intimate relationship for some time um you know it's it's like it, it becomes a situation where you have to be interested in the other person's growth. I find myself where the more that I focus on um, the positive qualities of, of another person and less on the, because we all have negative stuff we could focus on, right? Like I could, I could focus on anybody's negative qualities, but I, I focus on the positive traits of my wife and, and, and I write them down. I literally write every day. I write these things down and, yeah. um, and, and which is difficult to do, honestly, it, it's not, but it, it, the discipline of doing it is what's difficult. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that, that it's, it, I don't even know if I made any sense of what I just said. I, I, I have no idea, but, um, I, I think love is a choice that we make. It's, it's a choice and, and we have to choose, you know, so now I also have been married before and I do know that, um, there was a moment in, in my previous marriage where I'm like, okay, that's it. The line has been crossed for the last time and we're, we're not moving forward with this marriage. So, um, right. I, 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 I don't know. Anyway. Sorry, I, I I went off on a tangent. That's okay. Honestly, I think that when someone says the line has been crossed for the last time, we're talking about a boundary. Yes. And um, the the comments coming in, keep them coming, everybody. These are amazing. I yeah. have been just loving the comments that are coming. 
Um, and I, I just feel like, um, you know, somebody commented um, that, you know, they had been married to a, a narcissist. And, you know, this is one of those unique moments. A narcissist is always raised by somebody who is a narcissist themselves. And a narcissist only cares about their own needs and their own feelings. Um, and there is no one else in the room, wow. really. And so they use criticism and contempt and gaslighting, you know, denying your reality is what gaslighting ultimately means. Um, they use all kinds of tactics to keep you under control. Now, I just named four things that are the opposites of the secrets. Um, when you criticize someone, you neglect them, you control them, you hold them in contempt, you are, you know, you have yeah. created a situation where the other person is cowering, if you will, in the relationship. And that's the best they can do. And I love to get those people in therapy because I want to empower them so that they can step away because 90% of narcissists will never heal. Thank you, Colleen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 95% 90, of narcissists will never heal and they'll never heal because there's a great line in our book that says love isn't blind love illuminates. Mm. And the truth is that love illuminates all the places that you're on, that you're not healed. Love <laughs> makes all the parts of you that aren't whole show up. <clears throat> wow. And when your partner sees that, they can either try to jump in and control you and say, I need you to be this way. That's the, the cornerstone of codependence in a relationship. I need you to not talk as much when we go to parties. I need you to wear these jeans, not those jeans. I need you to lose 20 pounds because I love you, but I'd be more attracted to you if you lost 20 pounds. You know, there's just a, a thousand cuts, if you will, a thousand ways every day that you can sink someone's self-esteem that you're close to. And the secrets, again, being based on developmental theory, developmental theory is the theory of narcissism and the development of the self. In, as an early infant, you're in the stage of narcissism. You need the whole entire environment to pay attention to you and serve you and attend to you. But when you get to be a child and then moving toward an, an adolescent, you start to incorporate other people into your sphere and your circle. And if you're doing that well and you have good parents guiding you, you learn to accommodate other people with respect and yeah. with integrity. It's not about you. But a narcissist never knows that because they're so wounded. And this yeah. is not to feel sorry for them because if you arrive at adulthood as a total narcissist, you know, yeah. there's many CEOs in America who are totally very, <clears throat> you know, type A driven narcissistic personalities. And many of them go through four wives or four husbands because yeah. they haven't ever been able to maintain the intimacy of a personal relationship because they're too concerned with being the, you know, being, being in charge. That's it. I'm changing my title today. I used to be CEO. I'm, I got to come up with a new title. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I try big daddy, big daddy. It works. <laughs> I think Big well, Daddy's a really good name. Yeah. You yeah. know, I had um, some former friends that went through a, a, a divorce, and um, and it was funny because they were also clients, and and the the wife called me and she's like, 
I've been doing all this research on narcissism and he's a narcissist and, and narcissists can never be cured. Like it's, it's uncurable. And, 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 and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I think that, um, I, I think I, I definitely know some, some narcissistic people. How, how do you, um, look, Theodora wants you to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my coaching is available on my website, Theodora. Right, and right. I, I work with people every day. And, yeah. you know, I just love, you know, I'll tell you, I honestly love to encourage people to be their best selves and to really, really get to the place where they're expressing their very inner core of who they are authentically. Because yeah. that's the power of a marriage that's really working. It's like John has never held me back, held me back, not in one little way from being my total self and from engaging in every level of creativity and, and strength that I wanted to go after in terms of work. And, you know, he just applauds all the time. He's like, she's amazing, you know. And, and I mean, wouldn't we all love that? But you know, let me tell you a secret here, since I've got so many women here talking about former husbands. Um, let me tell you the big secret. Don't marry a man who hated his mother. Wow. And I'll, t I'll tell you why that's so powerful. When men hate their mother, that inner, that inner hate that they have for their mother really is like a mask that is over your face. And when I got out of my only other marriage, um, I had a really profound therapist who said that to me, who actually said, don't ever marry a man who hates his mother. And I was like, sitting back going, what? <laughs> you know? And I was a therapist. Um, so I really want you to know that when you're in the thick of your own emotional vulnerability, it's impossible to sort the whole situation. That's why a really good therapist on your team is the best thing you can possibly have, because they will listen, they will understand, they will encourage, they will take you to the place where you need to go. And that's why I coach couples individually. Putting two people in the room together is like witnessing the fight. You're like in a ping pong game. You're just going bing bong, bing bong. And they both want you to take their side. It doesn't mean that growth can't happen. And there are phenomenal couples therapists out there. If both people are in the room wanting to work on the marriage, couples therapy can be really powerful. Wow. I have chosen to work individually because I want each person to tell me what the dirt is from their perspective. And I want to work with them directly on how they are going to change themselves in the marriage. Because if they're not going to change their behavior and they're going to continue to blame it on the other person and they're going to continue to come to every session and just criticize their spouse, you know, we know what's going to happen to this marriage. It's not going to make it. You know, um, Brian Tracy was on, on this show and he said one of the most profound things I think I've ever heard anyone say, he said, the moment that we take personal responsibility for everything in our lives is the moment that we cross over from being a child to an adult. I was like, oh my God, I'm not, that's amazing. Like, and it's so true. Yeah. Yes. And if I can add even another side to it, yes. you don't get to be an adult until you forgive your parents. Mm. You don't wow. really get to be a full adult until you forgive your parents. That's because beautiful. whatever the work is, it's yours to do. <clears throat> they did the best that they could, and maybe they failed miserably. Yeah. 
but they did what they did. It's now your job to shift it. And when you forgive them, you release them and stop blaming them. And that's the whole point. When we say in the book, drop the scorecard and become aware of your scorecard, we're essentially saying you have to really stop scoring on your husband or your wife. Because when you stop scoring, you start taking responsibility for your behavior in the relationship and doing what you can to bring positive energy to the relationship. I'm starting to wonder if we need John on this interview. (laughs) Really, just a handsome face. In fact, she hired me yesterday. We've never met before. She just, just brings me on these shows to kind of, you know. I want I want to tell all the listeners the coolest part of our history is that we met when we were in our 20s at a party in Boston, okay? Oh my gosh, are and you kidding? We met, were, met in quotes. Because yeah, it was a Tony and Maria moment. We were totally attracted story. to each other from across the room. John was oh. the keynote speaker at the event, and I was like sitting there going, ah. um, and... Wow. You know, that, but I was on a date with someone else. And that is like a line I would never cross. I would never flirt with another person while I was on a date with somebody. You so, flirted with your eyes and soul. I, my soul was definitely there. Um, Denial is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> but we never, um, we never even spoke a word to each other. Oh my and, and then I didn't know. Met, in fact, I didn't know her name. We, I yeah. never learned her name. I knew his. It was like Cinderella. She ran off and there was this glass slipper. (laughs) (laughs) I knew his name because he was the keynote speaker. But I'll just tell you that we met again at 40. And that's when, you know, 25 years later, man. Yeah, all the lights went on and we were like, oh my goodness. That is so incredible. And I held out the slipper and said, would you try this on? He said, I'm 25 (laughs) years old and my foot wouldn't fit it. What are you, a moron? So love it first sight. <laughs> that is so amazing. I love that story. So, so when you talk a little bit for, look, I want everybody watching to go get this book. Look how red my face turns when I hold the book up. That's yes. Wow. Um, go get this book, the go Giver marriage. I, I want to talk. I want you to talk a little bit because um for those watching that don't know, John has written 30 books. And counting. And counting. Um, and The Go-Giver with Bob Berg, you and, right? You and Bob Berg did the Go-Giver series. The Go-Giver, the original one. Um, then the Go-Giver. Go-Giver saw more. Go-Giver leader. I'll give you an audio, audio, I, visual, audio visual aid. I have them all, I believe somewhere here on one of my shelves. Um, So talk a little bit about this book because I love your writing style of, of writing in parable format. Is that, am I saying it right again? Parable, right? Um, Parable format where you take real life and turn it into a fictional story with a powerful punch. Yeah. You know, where you, you said the magic word, uh, magic two words, maybe real life. So the thing with parable, and I love writing parables. I mean, I've written other books. I've written, I've ghostwritten people's memoirs. I've written novels. I mean, I'm writing thrillers now, which is a new, a whole new career path for me. My first thriller came out last summer and the next one, the sequel comes out in June. Um, and I'm starting work on the third. 
they are stories about a, a traumatized Navy SEAL who is on the run as a fugitive from justice um, wow. and various things transpire, which I'm co-writing with a former Navy SEAL. So I've written all kinds of books, but I think parables might be my favorite. And, and one thing I love about parables, I think I love, I love helping people sort and improve their lives, you know, kind of the, the things we're talking about now. Um, I love people having these aha moments where they go, oh, I could be doing this differently and all this other stuff would open up for me. And then, and then that's, you know, that's what I strive for in a parable. The parables have a bad name in some circles. And the reason for that, I think, is that there are a lot of parables that are a little flat, like a little cartoonish. There's a, a, a misunderstanding about parables. The misunderstanding goes like this. Something that's simple must be easier. No, simple writing must be easier than complicated writing. A parable is so much simpler than a novel, but it's almost twice as hard as, wow. as a novel. Because here's the challenge of the parable. The parable is a, is a sh relatively short, simple story that illustrates life principles. That's what it was in the Bible. That's what it was in Aesop. That's what it still is today. But because it's short and it's simple, doesn't mean it's like a cartoon. It has to be real. It has to feel authentic. It has to move you. If you don't, if I don't cry while I'm writing it, you're not going to cry while you read it. If I don't laugh while I'm writing it, you're not going to laugh while you're reading it. And if you don't laugh and if you don't cry, you're not going to learn anything because it's not going to touch your soul. It's not going to be real. What has to happen in a parable is wow. you meet a character. A parable is always about a character who wants something and who's looking for something and is having a challenge getting it or who is stuck or is, is yearning, is seeking. A parable is always a quest. And when you are introduced to this character on page one or page two, you need to feel like that's me. You need to be that character because wow. you need to go through that quest. You need to feel the triumph. You need to feel the frustration. You need to feel the pain. You need to feel as the triumph at the end when, when, when the character kind of breaks through. Speaking of breakthrough walls, you need to break through and, and, and you know, find the Holy Grail, which in, in Joe's case, in The Go-Giver, is this understanding that when you shift your focus from what can I get, what can I get, what can I get, to a focus on how can I give? How can I support? How can I improve your life? How can I add value to your life? That when you do that, your life improves, not just there. So when Joe gets that, that's the holy grail of the story. And when you read it, I need you to feel like, oh, I got it. I got the holy grail. Because if you do, then the parable works. The goal giver worked. That's why it sold a million copies. And it was just such an exciting thing to be part of. That's what we wanted to do with all the Go Giver books, but that's what Anna and I wanted to do with the, with the Go Giver marriage. We want people to fall into the stories. There's a, there's a fable within the parable. It's like there's a fairy, fairy tale in the middle of the, of the parable, which is in the middle of the guidebook. So it's like a turducken. And, and that's the first half of the book. Right. Right, the first half is the parable. Second half is the practice. And the practice is, is Anna's word. The practice is Anna says, okay, let me explain to you what you just read and explain to you in <laughs> just simple, really simple terms, why it works, what it means, 
how it shows up in your life. And here's a tick list, tick, 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 of how you can do it, of what you can yeah. actually do every day. And so also you, here are some client stories that illuminate yeah. how it can go wrong. Because we, I also explain in that second half what those toxic behaviors are, the opposites. Because in each client case, yes. I illuminate a, a couple that were basically play, playing volleyball with the opposite. And mm. then they both woke up and decided to shift their behavior and change their own personal approach to the marriage. Wow. And, and that's when you see the transformation happen. Um, so I, I love that part of it just because those toxic behaviors, we spend a lot of time teaching about those toxic behaviors because those toxic behaviors are the very things that take marriages down. I think, you know, just from my experience and I, I, I openly talk about the fact that I'm a recovered alcoholic and I, I, you know, I remember, I remember early on. Um, <clears throat> hearing that the word denial is an acronym, <clears throat> excuse me, for um, don't even notice I am lying. And, and so <laughs> I think that, that, that people, right? <laughs> is that great or what? So I love great. it. But, That's awesome. But so people, people don't, don't, you know, they may, um, because of the 60,000 or so thoughts we have a day on average, they they don't realize that they're having these these toxic conversations in their head about maybe not just their partner but life in general right and so so i and i love the fact that you do it in story format and you break it down in it sounds like in layman's terms in the second yeah. half of the book because too many people um, in, in your, your, I don't want to, I don't want to stereotype, but in your line of work, um, I think people like to flex their PhDs and, and, and pontificate <laughs> and, 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 and talk over people's heads. And, you know, you're like, I just spent $250 for an hour of time and I have no idea why, <laughs> like, what did that writers mean? do that too. Writers like You're to right. flex their vocabulary, don't they? Yeah, really. Hey, you wonder what the biggest lie is? One of the most commonplace lie in, in uh, modern America is probably modern life, all of life. What? I'm fine. Right. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell That's you, I, I, I had, I'm sure it is, and yeah. I'm not going to go into what it means. But anyway, I, yeah. I, I grew up in what I thought was just an idyllic childhood. And, you know, in, in so many ways, it was. There was a lot that was wonderful about my childhood. Uh, my parents were just incredibly lovely people. They loved me. And, you know, there's a lot that was good. But when I arrived at 18, 19, 20 and, and fell into my first marriage, I was not fine. Mm -mm. You know what? Nobody is. You know, Anna, I love Anna often says nobody escapes childhood without wounds. And uh, so when, you, when you're married and the honeymoon wears off and you're sitting, both sitting in the living room looking at each other and you go, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine too. Uh-oh, no, you're not. <laughs> so part of the opportunity of marriage, this is the opportunity of marriage, is that, is that when you, when, if you self-examine, if you start to grow and have into emotional maturity and, and look at your own material and look at your own internal landscape, a, a marriage partner gives you a partner in growing through those wounds and becoming yes. uh, a self-healed person. It isn't that your partner heals you. It's that you heal you, but they're there to assist. They're there to support. 
they're there to help lead lead you down the path. How often this this is a, a borderline rhetorical question. Um, how often do you see a couple where one or both have a, a um, maybe even an unconscious expectation of their partner fixing them? or solving all of their problems. Like that's, that's gotta be common. I, I, uh, I, this is a, it's a great question. And it gives me an yeah. opportunity to talk about the last secret, the last secret in the book. See in, in all the go-giver books, the first four secrets are about giving. And the fifth secret is always counterintuitive in the, in the original go-giver book. It's, you know, give, 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 give. And then the last one is receive. You have right. to stay open to receiving. Well, in this book, the first four are about giving to your partner in one way or another, um, extending your belief, you know, really holding, a, a, holding an attitude of always adding value to their life. But the fifth secret is purely about you, and it is about giving to yourself. The fifth secret is about growing, and I mean personally growing. Now, personal growth could be working to overcome a trauma from your childhood. Personal growth could be something like becoming a master gardener, taking on painting. I'm a, a nature photographer, I love it. Um, and I took that on late in life. Um, so it's about the ways that you allow your curiosity to express itself and to keep becoming more multifaceted because wow. the more you grow yourself, the more you have to bring back to a marriage, the more attractive you are, the more fat, multifaceted. And so um, when people get into a marriage and they expect to get all their needs met by the marriage, you find somebody who's a little depressed and they sit home and they watch TV and they're just waiting for their partner to come home to take them on a walk and to sit and entertain them and tell them about their day and encourage them or do whatever it is they're feeling like they need that day, even lift them out of their depression. Um, that's a marriage that's not going to be in good shape over the years because no one person can be the one who fulfills all of your needs. You have to pay attention to your needs. You have to be the one that says, you know, I love taking close-up shots in nature. I'm going to really study this. This is so cool. You know, I mean, John and I are both endlessly curious about the world. And, you know, we see people our age in their early 60s who are basically sitting around saying, oh, I'm really old now. You know, <laughs> they've stopped <laughs> learning. They've stopped having any kind of career. They've taken early retirement and they're, you know. The only thing that fascinates them is their lumbago. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And they do. They talk about their arthritis all the time. You know, it's like, hello. You know, there's so much in the world. There's so much going on. There's so many ways you can be involved. Even seniors who volunteer and give their time and energy to nonprofits live a lot longer than ones who don't. Wow. You know, it's like, get out there, give in some way to your society, to your culture to the people around you. Um, you know, there's just so many ways to be a go-giver, if you will. But in a marriage, if you're a go-giver, I mean, there's no, people ask us what our secret sauce is, but the, the magic of our marriage is that we both come at it with a spirit of generosity. 
when John's having a really bad day, I don't like try to corner him and make him process it. That's like not what I want to do. I, I basically say to him, I can see you're really having a bad day. I know that this phone call you just had affected you. So I just want you to know I'm here. And if there's anything I can do to make your day better, please let me know. And if you want to talk, I'm available. So now I've, I've given him, I've allowed him a lot of space. And at the same time, he got acknowledged for where he's at. So he wow. can now give himself permission to ruminate and figure out what he's really feeling. Often we'll go for a long walk, three, four, five miles in the afternoon, late afternoon. And that's when he'll download how, what he came to, what he's thinking about, where he, how he feels about this situation. And wow. yeah, it's powerful because what, I didn't try to pry it out of him with a crowbar. Also, also what she didn't do and also what she doesn't do is say, so, you know, why are you so down? Why are you so grouchy? In that tone, <laughs> the real meaning of that question isn't, I would like to know what's going on for you. The real meaning of that would be, would you stop being that way? Yeah. Because right. I'm already having a hard day. Now you're making my day worse. Could you stop being that way, please? And yeah. we often do this to each other. I don't mean Anna and I do, but I mean people. We often do this to each other in ways we're not even aware of. Sometimes, would you please be a little bit different right now? I need, I need you to be. Could you not be in a bad mood right now, please? Because it would be better for me if you could just be a, a little lighter. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, or you know, in a in a more serious vein. We often use the example of a miscarriage. You know, we a couple has a miscarriage, and and after and it's and it can be just a, a a tragic, brutal thing, particularly for the woman who's gone through this whole hormonal thing where her body was preparing to have a child, and now it doesn't have a child. And you know, we've both been through this. I mean, I was went through it as an observer, obviously, um, but it's it's traumatic for for yeah. both parents, but especially for the woman. So it's not an uncommon thing for after a few months of grieving and mourning for the husband to kind of go, can we move on from this? <laughs> which, is, which is just another way of saying, could you not be sad anymore? Because it would be better for me, actually, in my life, if you could stop being sad now, and if you could be more like me right now and be a little bit more happy and jaunty and buoyant, and let's go and, I don't know, take in a movie. That is, you know, control. That's the attempt to control the other person and make them a certain way which is the same thing as not seeing them. It's the same thing. Yeah, as, it's as it, it's but, denying but, their reality altogether. Yeah. And okay. I just want to give a shout out to Jay and Colleen and, and just yes. say that, um, you know, we worked on this book for a long time. I mean, we talked about these secrets for probably 11 or 12 years before we developed this book, um, because we started talking about this book in 2005, three years before The Go-Giver was published. It took a long and time for the book so to been, get published. We have been having those long conversations where I'm explaining the details of developmental theory, and we've been talking about what these five secrets are. So these five secrets, you know, I honestly think this book will go out and be very big because this is based in reality of what human needs are. And at the same time, what are the things that we get in? What are the nitpicky little behaviors? Like he gave an example of denial. And that's what people do when they control you. They deny your reality. And denying your reality is just like, you know, I think it was Ken who said early on, um, you know, I need to be seen. I need to be heard. I need to be witnessed. That is secret number one. Secret number one is that we all need that. That's our deepest drive is to be seen. That's why people are trying to be social media mavens. 
because they want to be seen. They want to be, they want people to follow them and say, wow, you're amazing. You know, it's like, if that's the only thing you're focused on, you're might be pretty empty on the inside. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was actually a dude in the comments who said that I, I need to be seen. I need to be heard. I need to be. Exactly. I don't remember who was. that was, but that was a brilliant, brilliant comment you I made. I think it was Ken. Um, but anyways, I think that. Um, I don't think I said that. <laughs> no, not, not, not you, Ken. Well, the other Somebody, Ken. The other Ken. The Ken oh. in the comments. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, I got you. Yeah. So. We'll track him down. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, <laughs> there's so many ways that we get into the behaviors that are just little unconscious things that we do, you know, trying to control the other person, denying their reality because you're busy and you've got other things on your mind. And, you know, if you can get aware, I mean, emotional intelligence is a powerful thing, but in, in the five secrets, we're trying to help people to just kind of get aware of the behavior of how you're bringing yourself to the marriage. Because when you shift your behavior, believe me, the whole tone of the marriage shifts. But but you're not. I I want to be. I want to be clear. Um, or for for me, you're not saying. I mean, look. I I've been in a bad marriage, and and I, I mean, I've meditated every day of my life for more than eighteen years. I I I I think that um, there were times where the other person in my life. Um, I could have been the Buddha and gotten pissed off, <laughs> pardon my language, but like, you're not, I don't think you're saying that it's, it's a hundred percent of the time you're not going to be affected by another person's behaviors or attitudes. Are you? No, absolutely not. Okay. But differentiation, individuation is the ability to stop yourself in the moment and be able to say, I see that you're, this is what I'm saying to myself. I see that you're irritated and to know that the irritation is his, not mine. Right. It's that ability to have enough self-awareness that you aren't buying the package. You don't have to have a reaction just because he's irritated. Doesn't mean you have to get irritated back or get defensive. Right. And then you can hold that, you know, I call it, you know, you can hold the status of the Buddha, you know, if you just stay self-aware enough that you are able to know that this is not your material. He's having a bad day because he just got a bad call from a publisher in New York, you know, or whatever. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's my bad day. I know it's affecting him and that, and I want to be able to be as supportive as possible, but it's not, it's not mine. I can go, you know, work on other projects, other writing, you know, we're working on a book about parenting and I'm already doing market research on that in terms of I'm interviewing tons and tons of parents um, because we feel that these same, you know, there's, there's a really powerful book there because if, all the concepts we're talking about that we're applying to a marriage were applied to parents and parents really understood what kids really need, then there would be a very, very different next generation arriving. Wow. Yeah. So powerful. Absolutely. So powerful. Um, I, I, I do want, I mean, we're, I can't even believe we're at the end of this already. That's crazy. Um, I want to um, help you guys promote 
first off, go to gogivermarriage.com, everybody, and order the book and access free gifts. There are free gifts. I'm looking at the website right here on this other screen. Order now and access free gifts. And you guys have something, um, something, uh, some sort of a master class or something coming up. You want to talk about that? We do. We actually offer this workshop multiple times a month. It's called Living the Five Secrets to Lasting Love. It's a two and a half hour Zoom event, and you can register for it on our website. It's an awesome deep dive into the five secrets and the five toxic behaviors. And we really, really get into, um, you know, sharing it in a way that, that makes it really accessible for people. And so it's like um, taking the book and dissecting it in a way that is, is very powerful. So people can wow. access that on our site. They can access my coaching on the site. And we're training a whole new group of go-giver marriage coaches. So for any coaches or other people that are out there listening or people who aren't a coach and they want to be a coach specifically to marriage, um, that coaching program starts in the fall. And we are taking applications right now. We have a bunch of people who have already joined the program. Wow. And we're really excited to train coaches because that's the other way that we can take the work out and expand the numbers of people who are getting exposure to it. Wow. So, so, so awesome. Um, <laughs> Jay, Jay, <laughs> yeah. okay, you're right like back. winning a place in my heart today. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. My wife, to shoot I'm guns, here watching too. My wife, I know she, she's Thank commenting. Thank you, Jill. So, so yeah, this is incredible. Um, and there's my dear friend, Dr. Laura. She's, she's a nurse practitioner. She's down in, in, um, at her place in Florida right now, actually. By you. Ah, yay. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So, yeah. Nice um, to meet you, Laura. So, That's so look, Colleen wants to register. So it's gogivermarriage.com. I'll say this also on the, on that site, you know, on the front page, you'll see the book and you'll see us and, and, you know, endorsements of the book and so on, the free gifts and such. There's a, a tab for programs. There's a programs page on the site. If you go to programs on the site, that's where you'll see the workshop. Oh, and okay. there is a workshop registration information at the bottom of the page. Next one is in a quick, just a little over a little over a week away. I love it. That's, that's so awesome. So um, that's incredibly awesome. And and the registration, is that for individuals or couples? Either. It's both. Either. Either. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Okay. Wow. You guys are incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, so, yes, yeah, she's, Laura's in, in Naples. Ah, beautiful. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. So uh, what, uh, and... Uh, I mean, again, I, I feel like Mr. Rhetorical today, um, but like, <laughs> like it, it, what is the, with this book, let, let's start with the book. I mean, you guys are doing phenomenal things. I think that the, 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 the biggest pandemic we have in this world is the divorce rate and, and, um, you know, I, I remember my grandparents, they, they, you know, God rest both of their souls, but they, they were, um, 
they were together from the age of nine and 10 years old. He walked her to school every day and, mm-hmm. and, and then they, you know, ended up married after he came back from the war and, um, and then went back out on a second tour, but they got married and, and, and they were together for until he, he died at 90 and she died at, at a, a year later or two years later. Um, so for, whatever it was 70 years or in total i think or or more um you don't hear those stories anymore you you just don't and i remember asking my grandpa when they were both in a nursing home and i asked my grandpa i'm like did you not ever so you never dated anyone else and and she's sitting there he goes i dated them all (laughs) they, they were just they always had fun going at each other just having fun you just don't see that anymore. Those that marriages, every, everything seems to be, um, I hate to say everything, but so many people are, are viewing marriage as a, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just find another one. Right. And, you know, and and the problem with that is, is what you're going to find is going to be, you're, you're going to be the same person. Because yes. wherever you go, there you there are. You are. Yes. <laughs> Guess who else shows up? You. You. Yep. <laughs> so Amen. I just want to make a little adjustment to what you said, which is, uh, to me, it isn't even a divorce pandemic as much as an unhappiness pandemic. And what I mean is that there were in the olden times, 100 years ago and such, there were also plenty of marriages where there was abuse and there was neglect and there was disregard and there was just sticking it out for 80 years and then dying unhappy. So, and today there are plenty of marriages who are not divorced and who are not heading for the courts. They're yeah. sticking it out for the kids or they're sticking it out for whatever reason, but they're not happy. They're not right. fulfilled. They're not living their rich lives that they could. So we're not just out to prevent divorces. We're also out to help marriages be what they could be and what they should be. Wow. That is so beautiful. And, and the last thing I want to say is that John has written many, many parables. This is not only his best parable, it's really a powerful parable. And I want to say that simply because I want the world to know, you know, there are people in New York that call John the parable king because they they feel like he's really, really an amazing parable writer. So everything he said about parables earlier, about Mm -hmm. having them be real and authentic, where they really make you feel things. This is one of those parables that doesn't talk down to you. That's always been my issue with parables is that they talk down to you. I don't want a story that's so simple that I feel slapped in the face with a two by four by, <laughs> by, by the message. Um, right. Yes, Colleen. Colleen. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Wow. So thank wow. you. <laughs> beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, everybody watching, please share, first off, share this out. Second, go to the, go, go to gogivermarriage.com and get the book and, um, register for the, the, um, masterclass. This is amazing. And is the masterclass, is it a, um, is it interactive? So just to clarify, on the front page of the site, you'll see us talk about many masterclasses, and those are videos that we we give you as a a gift for buying the book. The workshop that we're talking about, that is interactive. That's the thing you register for. That is is interactive, yes. Which is you click on programs at the top, and it takes you living the five secrets to lasting love. That's the one we're talking about. That's the one, yeah. 
Yeah. And the answer is yes, it is interactive. It's interactive. Yeah. And that's what makes it so powerful is that we teach for about an hour and then we open it up for an hour and a half. Oh, wow. And for an hour and a half, people go back and forth and there's a lot of dialogue and it's so powerful. So well, I shared know. I shared last night with my my folks that you guys were coming next thursday so i hope oh, you cool. don't cancel <laughs> i hope that's okay how about that that sounds good to me so um this has been absolutely amazing you two are now i i think we just became best friends <laughs> i think you're right i would actually. agree i I, yeah. I feel like we haven't had this much fun on a podcast and also on the live we did a couple days ago I mean, it's been amazing. Thank you so much, Ken. You guys are amazing. My wife, if my wife loved it, then you did good. So um, <laughs> this is thank been you, Jill. Great. So um, everybody, please go go over to Go Give Her Marriage, and and this is only if there's a this is a certain group of people. It's if you are a human. Um, and you're ever going to interact with another human in any capacity, um, you need to go register for this. And we and designed this specifically for you. That's right. Yes. Yes. Only right. those people though. Only those people. So <laughs> thank you guys so much. Have a blessed day and we will see you guys next week. John and Anna, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. And hang tight for me if you would. And I'm going to end the live stream now. But hang on for me and thank you so much.